the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you with us. We've got a really important topic today, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, let me bring on our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol's executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She's a graduate of the University of the Incarnate Word with a master's degree in social gerontology. Uh, she is known across this country for her work with seniors and caregivers, and we are, as always, delighted to be on here with her, Carol. Uh, this is a topic that uh, in, in many ways we dance around, but we haven't talked about much, uh, the art of living with the end in mind. You know, it's so important, um, and we know that, working with caregivers, that uh, kind of facing the situation uh, that we're in, all, uh, that so far the death rate in this, co- in this country and in the world is 100%. Uh, has been from the beginning of time, uh, and it's such an opportunity to live with purpose and to make choices. And if we can keep that in our mind as we are caregiving, uh, that sometimes uh, time is different in those situations. Uh, I think uh, you know that's the importance of having someone like Barbara Becker join us. To well, let me introduce Barbara Becker, author of Heartwood: The Art of Living with the End in Mind. Barbara holds a Master of Arts in International Administration from the School for International Training, a Master's of Arts in Media Studies from the New School of Social Research in New York, and a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Anthropology from Haverford College. She is an ordained interfaith minister, lives in New York City with her husband and two sons. And uh, Robert Becker, uh, uh, my brother, earned his Master's as well from the New School, so we've got a connection there. Oh, beautiful. It's such a wonderful, wonderful university. Now, talk to us a little bit about you're the founder of Equal Shot, uh, dealing with communication consultancy and strategies. Uh, You've talked a lot about uh, how we need to think about what's next for us and for the ones we care for. Uh, How did you get into that? I got into this quite early in life. Um, I grew up in a home where I say there was a ghost of sorts. Um, I learned when I was when I was really little that my father had been married before he was married to my mother. I was about eight years old when I found this out by snooping around one day in my dad's wallet, and I saw a photograph of a woman I didn't know. And I asked my mom who it was, and she said, "This was Maureen, um, the the woman who your dad was married to before me, and she died in a." tragic boating accident. And that's all I knew. And that's all I knew for years because my parents 
followed this guideline of letting the child lead with their questions about loss rather than um, shoving all the information at me when I was probably too young to process it. They let me come up with the questions in my own time. So I contemplated death in sort of age-appropriate ways with my brothers, and we we would sometimes wax philosophical about it and came to realize that we wouldn't even be alive if this woman hadn't died. So we really were kind of starting to dig into the questions of life and death when we were quite young in our household. It's an interesting concept that uh, had your father's late wife lived, you wouldn't be here. Yeah, that's right. And and my book, Heartwood, um, begins with the story of Maureen, but it also ends with the story of Maureen because my father took us to England, where Maureen was from, to meet her parents and her siblings wow. later on when we were in high school. And um, I won't give away exactly what happens there. It's almost miraculous. Um, but it's um, it really became part of our family's journey. And I think about my mom a lot in that relationship, like how intimidating it might be to live with the specter of a person who never aged you know, they died so early after uh, their honeymoon that they never even had the luxury of an argument. So my mom had this person in her life. But let me tell you, she embraced Maureen as if she were a presence. And she even had a wreath laid at her grave site every Christmas, um, which I thought was such a beautiful, um, open hearted thing for my mom to do. That's really pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah. Now, as you think about uh, yeah. what Carol said at the beginning, that, uh, you know, 100% guarantee we're all going to die. Uh, what are some of your thoughts, especially for caregivers, caring for someone who may have a terminal illness, who they are going to lose, or have Alzheimer's, where they've lost them in the present and they'll lose them when they pass? Uh, how do folks cope with that? Yeah. And, you know, I wrote um, about three members of my family who had Alzheimer's in this story. And one was my dad. Um, my dad had been a neurosurgeon in his lifetime as his career, which was kind of ironic. It was a disease that he feared in many ways. And then he ended up with himself. Um, also, my mother-in-law and my aunt had Alzheimer's, and they're all in the book. Um, but again, my parents had taught me quite early because they had taken care of both of my grandmothers, one with dementia and one with Alzheimer's, in our home when I was young. And I really got to see um, the anticipatory grief process up close. You know, we knew we were losing them before we lost them. And my parents allowed us to ask questions, encouraged us to kind of sit in the room with them. And while they were still able to sort of enter their journeys, one of my grandmothers had this great sense of humor and she would fall asleep. And when she woke up and it would be dark, she'd say things like, someone forgot to put the oil in the lamps. 
And, you know, my mom taught us that instead of saying, no, no, we use electricity now, you're just dreaming, to kind of go along with the story and see where it would lead. So um, I think that entering into the final life review, however that looks, meeting people where they are is extremely important in dealing with end of life. And as you think about that, um, most of us, and I think perhaps it's different in this country than elsewhere, uh, we don't deal with death very well. We don't deal with the concept of death. And while your parents uh, may have had a much more uh, understanding approach to talking to their kids about it, for the most part, it's a no-no topic. Ah, that's absolutely right. I say in the book that we live in a death-shy world And we do everything possible not to be reminded of the fact that, as Carol says, 100% of us will die. Um, And I, I think as a communicator that we need to have a paradigm shift on this. We need to start talking about our deaths while we're healthy so that it's not quite as intimidating. But we can put things in place you know, we can say early on, who should be our health care proxy? What do we want our end of life to look like? You know, under what um, situations do we want to remain alive? You know, when might we not wish to live any longer? Do we want feeding tubes? Um, do we want to be buried? Do we want to be cremated? All of these questions can be you know, had in in interesting and positive ways with family and friends and perhaps clergy early before it becomes too late, before we're perhaps in pain or just not clear enough to be able to state our wishes. Now, hold that thought. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Barbara Becker about a topic uh, that we really haven't dealt with in, in any general way. Her book, Heartwood, The Art of Living. Carol? Yeah, you know, you you talked about thinking about death and, and having it be a conversation. And I, and I think about just what you were saying, how used to when people died at home, uh, it was much more a, a present thought in our families and people learned that, that, you know, grandma dies and eventually people pass and we don't talk about that. But the converse, the conversation you're encouraging, so many of us will say, no, no, oh, you're going to don't say that you're going to live forever, mom. We, you know, we don't want to talk about that. And so how do we, how do we help overcome that, that taboo? Even if we want to talk about it, we sometimes, and I've, I've heard myself do it um, in my own lifetime you know, oh, you're fine. You're, you're going to get recover. How do we, where, where's the off switch to, to the conversation where we try to stop people? Well, I think the off switch is to realize that often the person who is dying wants to talk about the fact that they're dying. And it's us who's trying to protect them while they're pretty clear that they are not going to live. So it's really a a gift, an act of service to our loved ones to enter that conversation, Um, but not to force it. Uh, One of the things that I did in, in the course of writing Heartwood was to become trained by two Zen monks in how to be with the dying. 
And they said to me that, you know, it might seem intimidating because you might think that you have to go into the room of the person who's dying and talk to them about the big existential questions and have all their answers. But the truth is, if they're sitting there watching Jeopardy, your job is to pull up a chair and watch Jeopardy together. You know, meet them where they are in their own time and it will emerge. So the less pressure we put on ourselves around this and follow the lead of the person who's dying, who probably really does want to talk about it at some point in their own time, um, the chances are it'll be a, a ripe and, and fruitful conversation. Now, I want to find out from you in just a couple of moments. Uh, you had your own confrontation with the prospect of dying, diagnosed with breast cancer, and you needed to take in some ways your own advice. And I also want to find out what in the world Heartwood means. That and more coming your way on Caregiver SOS On Air with Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We're so pleased you are sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zorniel. We're talking with Barbara Becker, author of Heartwood, The Art of Living. And we're talking about understanding death, facing death, talking about death, embracing in some ways the concept of death, something nobody really wants to do. And Barbara, in your own case, diagnosed with breast cancer, you had to take your own advice about coping with the possibility of the end coming. That's right. I mean, the release of a book um, is such a joyous event for authors. But on the very day that Heartwood came out, I was having surgery for this new diagnosis of breast cancer. Um, and I was sitting around with a lot of painkillers and ice packs and really kind of contemplating my own words. Um, and I really took to heart something that a dear friend of mine had said. He's a person who's um, living with multiple sclerosis. And um, I was sort of complaining and um, just talking with a lot of fear about what the future might hold. Would I see my children graduate from high school? Would I see them married someday? You know, I was kind of going on and on. And, and Matt said to me, you know, Barbara, it sure sounds like you're writing chapter 24 of your life book when you're really only on chapter four. <laughs> and that just took me right back to the presence. It had its way of, of just making me realize that I was where I was and the obstacles that I was encountering um, were really not roadblocks keeping me from life but they were my life. 
so I had a shift in perspective, and I'm so grateful for all of the people that I wrote about in Heartwood, because in so many ways, they were my teachers. And what does Heartwood mean? So Heartwood is something I discovered after both of my parents died. And, you know, I was bereft and I was walking in an old growth forest with my husband one day. And I learned that inside every tree is a pillar and it's called Heartwood. It's the strongest, most durable part of the tree, the part that's prized by woodworkers. But what's surprising is that the heartwood is dead. You know, it's the inert part of the tree. Its only purpose is to create stability for the growth rings that grow around it. And I thought, you know, we people are a lot like the trees. You know, those who we've loved and lost, like my mom and my dad and so many others I wrote about, become our heartwood, our enduring strength. And our job is to continue to grow around it until we too someday become heartwood for those who come after. You know, it's interesting. I happen to be Jewish and in the Jewish religion, what we say when someone passes is may their memory be a blessing. And in many ways, that's driven by the heartwood that you're talking about. Oh, that's so true. And, you know, my husband is also Jewish and the traditions um, in Judaism around loss and death, I find to be so visceral. Um, I remember attending his aunt's funeral and we took turns with the shovel at the graveside, putting the dirt onto the coffin. Um, it was a very real and touching reminder of our connection and also a final act of care and love. You know, as I'm as I'm listening to the conversation, you know, there's so many strands of different religions that that can inform us and and we can uh, take to heart that thinking about you, what you said with the Zen monks, and it's very Zen to live in the now. You're on chapter four uh, and don't get ahead of yourself. Uh, and But recognizing that we do have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of time. And, and talking about how do we use that time, right? What matters is how we use the time that we're given. Yes. Uh, while I was researching the book, I learned that sages and saints, wise people throughout the ages have advised us not to run away from death, but to actually face death and to use it as a powerful force to reorganize our priorities and to take advantage of the time that we do have. I mean, you find this in the Buddha's teachings, you find it in the prophet Muhammad, you find it in the Stoic philosophers like Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, and you find it in just people like Steve Jobs from Apple, who when he was dying, he said that death is the single most important invention of life because it's life's change agent. And I think a lot of people, when given the opportunity to process their own death, come to this realization that you can actually live more fully if you accept the fact that you're mortal rather than run away from it. Wow. I, I want to uh, throw a question at you that my 11-year-old daughter 
Reagan tossed at me. We have three little ones, uh, twin boys who are nine, her brothers, and Reagan, uh, who's 11. Uh, I'm a little older than most of her friends' dads. I'll be 81 in May. And the other day, Reagan looked at me and, and said, you know, Daddy, I love you so much, but you're so much older than um, my other friends' daddies. I don't want you to die. Mm-hmm. And, of course, yeah. I said, which was the knee-jerk, hey, I'm, you know, I'm here for a long time. I'm not going to die, da-da-da-da-da, which, of course, is not true. Mm-hmm. What would have been a better way to answer that question? Well, I don't think you've done anything wrong. I think that you answered and she opened the door to a continued conversation. So there's still plenty of time to sit down with her, um, perhaps while she's going to bed at night or she's in the back seat of the car while you're driving and you have some quiet alone time to ask her more about that. You know, to ask her perhaps what she thinks happens after someone dies, um, to talk about what she would remember about you, um, to talk about her fears around losing you and what that might feel like. So I think that she gave you a gift in terms of just asking you to respond and you don't have to feel like there is a perfect answer on the fly. I think what you said was um, such a beautiful thought about your love and commitment to her. So it can be continued. And uh, I would just encourage you to turn the questions around and see what she has to say about death and what she's thinking. That's great advice. I'll get you on a conference call when I talk to her. She sounds wonderful. Well, you know, what you you said is so important, and I don't think we hear that often, that the conversation, it doesn't have to be, we think of, oh, I've got to have the big conversation to ask mom and dad or my husband, whoever it is that we're caring for, you know, how they want, how they want to live, how they want to die, as opposed to, it's a long conversation, right? It's not a one-time event. We don't have to tackle everything at once. And it also, if you've, if you've experienced someone who's dying, it does change over the course of where they are in, in a disease to where the conversation you had at the first is not the same conversation you have when they're closer to the end of their life. Oh, there's so much wisdom in that. No, there's a new movement that's um, growing around the world called the death acceptance movement. And there are things such as death cafes, uh, which started in England. So, of course, they have tea and cake and they invite people who might even be strangers to one another to sit down together and to just talk about what's on their mind about death. I've attended several death cafes and they can range from the fears to hilarious stories about disposing of ashes and uh, having them come back in your face. I mean, I've heard absolutely everything at these death cafes. They're open invitation to have a conversation. And I've just been very, um, very glad, too, that Heartwood has been a small drop in the bucket of the death acceptance movement because a lot of book groups are using it and uh, talking about 
losses that while they might have known each other for decades, haven't come up as conversations in quite the same way after they've had the chance to process stories of loss. You know, before we run out of time, Barbara Becker, share with us Heartwood, The Art of Living. Uh, who should read that book and, and where can they find it? Um, I have just been so honored to have Hartwood named to Katie Couric's list of the books that will change your life. So uh, I, I'm really hoping that this book is for everyone back to that 100% of us will die. Um, it's not all the morbid conversations of loss. I hope you find humor in it. And there's a book guide on my website and the book is available wherever books are sold. And where do we find your website? It's barbarabecker.com. Now, before we let you go, you, you talk about uh, your dad, uh, a neurologist, had the ultimate uh, in, in situation in which he develops Alzheimer's disease. For caregivers dealing with someone with Alzheimer's, what advice do you have for them? I would say do something, at least one thing a day that is exclusively for you not the person that you're caring for. And while my mom cared for my dad, sometimes it was simply taking a shower. Um, other times it was just going outside the house and walking around it once before she came back in. But whatever you do, please make sure that in a day you do at least one thing for yourself. Well, we're flat out of time, but Carol, I see you smiling and shaking your head. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We thank you so much, Barbara Becker, for coming on with us. The book again, Heartwood, The Art of Living and uh, Living with the End in Mind. We thank you for coming on. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. We appreciate you joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.